The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. That's right. It is Monday, September 18th. Oh, yeah. And today is National HIV AIDS and Aging Awareness Day, National Cheeseburger Day, World Bamboo Day, and that's right. Happy birthday, Air Force. We're not talking about Air Force One. We're talking about the real Air Force. And thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast, and please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top-hand corner of your screen to see where we live on the Internet. We're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube, and uh, you can also catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and a few other different platforms as well. But uh, nonetheless, we are going to kick it off. we got a lot of news going on today, and I guess, I guess I'm going to kick it off today with my first story. I see, I see Gretchen's in the room, but she hasn't. Hasn't activated herself yet, but uh, nonetheless, nonetheless, we're going to keep it, keep, keep it rolling. All right. Are you guys ready for this, man? Because uh, this is a very, very interesting story that broke on Friday. Arizona, first of its kind. That's right. Amerid, uh, marijuana dispensary workers go on strike. <laughs> oh, the union busters are coming in hard. In the first ever labor action of its kind in Arizona, cannabis workers at a marijuana dispensary in Phoenix went on strike. In a quote, they said, your direct action here today speaks volumes. And when you take, you take brave, courageous actions like this to walk off the job, you not only are fighting for yourselves and your coworkers, but for every worker who is taken advantage of by their employer and by corporations, said state representative Annalise Ortiz, the, Demo the Democratic uh, Party state lawmaker, represents the 24th legislative district, which covers a portion of Maryvale. Workers at Cureleaf Midtown, along with elected leaders and community members, protested during the afternoon of September 15th near Central Avenue and Thomas Road. In a quote, people over profit, justice over greed, cannabis for, for all, not just corporate need. That's kind of catchy. Said Marino Gonzalez, or Mario Gonzalez, excuse me. Here's what you need to know about the labor action. The workers at the dispensary voted in favor of unionizing back in June 30th of 2022, but according to a statement released by officials with the UFCW Local 99, the workers still do not have a union contract. The group is demanding, among other things, better pay, benefits, working conditions, and safety. They also called on Curaleaf Midtown to reinstate a recently fired worker and start advancing union contract negotiations. The, fire wor the fired worker, according to the UFCW Local 99 statement, was allegedly fired for her union activity, citing a complaint issued by the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB. The strike petition was reportedly hand-delivered by workers uh, to their bosses, and in a quote, they say, we're demanding that Curaleaf, and in a quote, they say, we're demanding that Curaleaf come to the table and negotiate with us like they were supposed to do when the NLRB ordered them to recognize us, said Nicholas Fredrickson, who works as a blood tender at Curaleaf Midtown. He says, we've been fighting for almost two years now, 
and we aren't anywhere close to a contract, he says. According to reports, there were some heated moments during September 15th protest. A person who was reportedly a label, label, uh, labor organizer was walked out of the premises by police and staff inside the dispensary tried to cover up the striker signs. In a statement, Kiraleaf says, hope you guys are ready for this. As a company, Kiraleaf respects the rights of team members who have chosen to be represented by a union. During September where, 15th, where protest, team members have chosen such representation, the company will pursue an honest, business-like approach in working with those representatives. While we believe that a direct relationship with our team members is the best route for us to work together, we respect the voices of our team members and will negotiate with union leaders in good faith. We know our team members. Um, we we know the voices of our t- of our members, and we will negotiate in good faith. Why do you keep doing that? Um, and positive work environment. And we are committed to a collaborative culture that allows our team to feel heard, supported, and respected, Kira Leaf says. Well, 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 these are fancy, fancy words coming from a big corporation. I'm not sure if I'm buying any of it. And, you know, I'm almost with these strikers just because they're cure leaf strikers, but I'm not, I'm, I still, I'm still undecided about all this. I want to hear what you guys have to say. This is Jason Beck for the High at Nine News. What do y'all think about these Arizona strikers? I mean, this is what unions do, right? This is, they're, they're putting their foot down. Mm -hmm. They've made some asks and um, this is where they're really trying to uh, activate Mm-hmm. At this point, interesting to see what the outcome is, if it's fruitful or not. I just imagine like if some of the workers were like, were there and then they wanted to get some weed and then they would have to cross the picket line to go get some weed. Or they're having <laughs> their illicit market dealer pull up curbside to the picket line. <laughs> yeah, I'm, hey, I'm not. I mean, Gretchen, you with us, Gretchen? I'm here. So, Jason Beck, we know you're a union hater. I am. Um, Explain to me what these people are fighting for that you disagree with. I I mean, I I, I didn't say that I was disagreeing with what they were fighting for. I never I never made that claim. You disagree with them fighting for it as a union. No, I'm I'm just I'm just not a fan of unions in general. I think unions. Why? Why? Because I think that that of historical knowledge. No, no, and no. Sure. That's that's cute, Matthew St. Germain. I just feel that, that unions give a lack of representation to workers while they're fleecing already low wages. I'm just I'm just not a fan of it. I, I, I don't think the cannabis industry is even ready, even close to being ready for unionization. I a think that's for you, Jason? a necessary next step for this industry to continue on if you want them to have any type of power against pharma and all these jagoffs who are going to move in. The unions are not going to protect you from big pharma. That is a joke. From all of that, that is a joke. The bargaining is how employees. I I don't think any of you guys have ever benefited from a union, and that's why you're opposed to them. I I I agree with you, Gretchen. The reason for the forty hour—that's what I was going to ask Jason. Why do we have a forty-hour work week instead of an eighty-hour work week? It's unions. Why do we have paid leave? I'm I'm all for having an eighty-hour work week. I'm in total support of that. Understood, understood. But uh, the thing is, we're getting to the point in in the United States where everything is about to snap, and the rich are about to get. Um, everybody. Well, that has more makes, to do with you know, AI and the and the lack of jobs that are actually going to come online or going to be available. That what that has to do is with stuff like in California right now. They're about to pass a minimum wage law where uh, fast food workers get and service industry workers get twenty plus dollars an hour for minimum wage, which means working McDonald's you'll be better paid than you would as a cultivator tech level one or a trimmer in the California cannabis industry. Oh. Hey. I, I would like someone to explain to me how somebody in California can survive on $17 an hour unless they're under 18 and have to be over 21 to work in the cannabis space. Just just talk about like uh, your friend Don the Con making it so that it used to be when you paid California taxes, whatever you paid on California taxes, you got to deduct from what you owed on federal taxes. It's no longer possible because Donald Trump eliminated that as an attack on California and other states that didn't vote for him. I just wanted you to explain to me how somebody making 17 bucks an hour that then gets money taken out for payroll and Social Security, California taxes and federal taxes afford to live in California where the average cost for a studio apartment is twelve to sixteen hundred dollars a month. A well, gallon of well milk hold on, hold on, bucks. hold on, Matthew, because 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 I actually agree with you on on, on these things. And, 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 and I do agree with you on that. But I think that that attacking the jobs that are paying people people wages is not the way to go. What we need to be attacking is the overall 
um, you know, BlackRock type of scenario, which is causing for all of this rent prices to skyrocket at astronomical rates here in California. Like that, that, entire, that that's the bigger the problem. problem. Is actually capitalism. That's the bigger problem. The, the problem is capitalism. The problem is not capitalism. In, in, no, and the, pro- the, the, the problem the problem is crazy ass rent. Okay, that that is the problem. Oh. That is the problem. Not, that's not the problem. The problem is that the folks at the top of of Walmart, of PG and E, of all of these companies, are making tens to hundreds of millions of dollars, both in salary and compensation and bonuses. Everybody else is making below minimum wage that they can't fucking survive, bro. It's really what the problem is. And so if we look at the free market economy, the free market economy is designed for the exchange of goods and services among individuals at fair rates between individuals. Capitalism is literally about using the labor of other people and not paying them for the value of their labor in order to accrue. I don't, I, I, I don't more, buy into that. that please logic. let me finish. Just okay. please let me finish. In order to accrue more real property, real property is real estate, land, as it has always been, owned by the aristocracy, and factory machinery, which is also viewed as, as real property. Capitalism is all about aggregating real property in as few as hands as possible. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. You don't have to believe me. You can literally go to the internet and Google free market versus capitalism, and you can see the difference between these two structures. I think that we should all be incentivized to share our, our art, our creativity, our labor, any goods and services that we can produce. I think we are all entitled to compensation, and I think that... Compensation is what drives initiative and it drives people to work and motivates people to work. So I believe in that. At the same time, I think there's a completely different way to do this that doesn't result in in a few families and 100,000 people out of 300 million having all of the resources, all of the wealth, all of the houses, and everybody else just basically being either on fentanyl in the streets and or at each other's throats to just survive. I could be wrong, man. Like I do a lot well, of drugs. Well, and at the same time, you know, if people don't want to work for minimum wage, they don't have to have jobs. They can just live off welfare if they want. I mean, but can they? Does yeah, they can. Oh, they can because there's eternity. tons of people that do. Oh, there's tons of people Some, that do. Go on for all eternity, though. Like I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Most of the people that are on on long term welfare are single women with children, and because they have children, they get leveraged into a place where they can't afford childcare, and so oftentimes to take welfare in order to feed and clothe their children. And then, you know, we can get into like single motherhood, the reasons for single motherhood, the destruction of the American family, the attacking of the uh, the black male, the imprisonment of the black male to disrupt families because of the rise of the Black Panthers and civil rights and socially conscious people of color in the 60s and 70s. Like, this is a big knot to unravel, but it, it really comes down to the fact of like, are we as a country, who do we wish to be and, and I posit again that, like, man, we're a family, and I want to share with my family, I want to work hard for my family, and I want to include everyone in the family at the table. Mm-hmm. Again, I do well, a lot of LSD, so I could be totally confused. You, you are a little confused. It's okay, though. We all still love you, Matthew St. Germain. But I do, I, do agree, I do agree with what Nick Bradley is saying in the chat, where he's saying that the problem with California uh, rental and housing market is that we allow for international investors to buy property here and sit on them as a for-profit. And I do think that Great. that is, that, that is a hundred percent a big problem. We should not be allowing any, any, you need to be, should be a U.S. citizen if you want to be able to purchase a U.S. home. That's Great. just, you know what I mean? That's just what it is. Housing shouldn't be, housing should not really be an income source. I, I don't, I don't understand how housing has, I mean, I understand how it's happened, but I just think it's one of the cruelest things in the world housing to become an income source. And I think, again, if we just look around, look in your local community, you guys, that plan isn't working in Santa Rosa. That plan isn't working in San Francisco. It's definitely not working in plan California, the whole state. Plan isn't working anywhere, bro. Like, I just wa- I was watching uh, a cat, uh, Luke Beasley, going to Trump rallies in Florida, and people in Florida are saying the same thing. Rents are quadrupling in Florida because so many people moving mm-hmm. from high rents in California. Well, it's and such the West a great Coast. place to live. Same thing is happening in Florida and Texas that was happening in California in the last 10 years. Rents are quadrupling, growing ex- exponentially, and people are becoming homeless on en- masse. Mm-hmm. It's like, how long are we going to play this game before we all start admitting it does not work? Oh, we're gonna, it's just, that's just what I'm wondering. The game's going to keep on getting played, bro. That's for sure. Cause... And back to unions, man. Three-hour work week, <laughs> paid vacation, no child labor. There's an abundance of reasons see, that see, unions are th- good. See, th- that's another reason I'm against the, against, against the unions. I'm all for child labor, too. I think kids should be at work. Shocker. I'm just saying. 
I think kids should work. It teaches them, <laughs> teaches them good, uh, good behavior at an early age. I'm all I, for I it. think that children should work in limited capacity if they have the free time and can uh, maintain their studies. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I still want them to go into school full time, everything else like that. But I think that they should be able to be able to work and and earn money. Absolutely, I feel like if kids are mature enough and they want to spend a few hours a week making some money, they should be able to. I mean, not forced, right? But like oh. my daughter, she's going to be 13 this week and she wants to be able to have a little part-time job. And mm -hmm. she's like trying to be creative and think of different ways that she could make money for herself. And ultimately she wants to be able to just go to work and make a I could think of a couple ways she can make some money, Mandy. Yeah. I could think of a couple things. ways. Mm-hmm. You know what I did is I bought uh, one of the first things I did is I bought number stencils, went to everybody's house in, in every neighborhood that have had a curb. And I offered to spray paint. This was a million years ago. Mm -hmm. I offered to spray paint their house numbers on their curb so the mailman and the firefighters could find them five bucks a number. I mean, five bucks a house. Right. Just buy some stencils. You go start knocking on doors and you start unlocking uh, unlimited opportunities. Look at that, bro. Look at that, Matthew. I volunteered yeah, until yeah, I was actually. able to make a paycheck. You volunteered until you were able to get a paycheck, Gretchen? How long did yeah, that take? Yeah, I, I volunteered for two years. at when I, I started when I was 14 at mm -hmm. McGee Women Hospital cleaning bathrooms. Were you a candy I striper? I was, and then I was like, this is <laughs> bullshit. I hate being nice to people. Can I just go clean the toilets? And they're like, all right, we've never had a candy striper do that, but knock yourself out. And I was like, yes. <laughs> So Love a candy it. striper joined the janitorial team at the hospital. I did. They were so sweet. They're like, we've never had one of you on our team. Oh, I was man. like, here I am. Where can we clone you at? I'd much <laughs> rather clean toilets than smile sweetly at ugly babies. Oh, man. What are you going to do when you run for Congress then, Gretchen? People are going to appreciate that. They're going to love that slogan. They're going to love that I'm slogan. I'd much rather clean toilets than gonna... ugly baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that's going to be good. That's going to be good. People I, want some honesty. They do. People do want honesty. She's going to make sure. onesies that's going to say, Gretchen Gailey for office, mm -hmm. but I won't hold your baby. Yeah. <laughs> no photos, please. <laughs> oh, man. Don't let me touch your baby. Mm -hmm. All right, we got we, we got it. baby. Unless it's in a union, don't bring me your baby. That's right. No union <laughs> babies. Union baby. No, no, no. Only if your baby is a union buster. Yes. Yep, or 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 if your baby has a bunch of scabs on it, then you know what I'm saying. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> uh, we got to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Relying on 25 years of commercial hydroponic experience, King Solomon Nutrients has engineered the best liquid and dry fertilizer products for cannabis that preserves the crop, the soil, and the environment through relentless passion, research, and innovation. King Solomon has developed simplified cannabis crop nutrition you can trust. It was created for farmers by farmers. Don't mess around. Try the crown. Oh, yes. Coming up next. That's right. It is none other than the Gretchen Gailey. She's the founder of Panaptic Strategies and... She, at one point in time, was a candy striper cleaning toilets in the hospital. Oh, my God. I cannot believe that. I, I wish I could get a picture of that. Oh, man. I'm sure one exists. I'm sure one exists. I can't wait for you to share it with us, Gretchen. It is the founder of Panoptic Strategies, Miss Gretchen Gailey. Ugh, good morning. I'm so happy to be back on East Coast time. I guess it's good afternoon. All right. Uh, my headline, Key Senate Committee officially schedules marijuana banking vote. A key Senate committee has officially scheduled a vote on a bipartisan marijuana banking bill signaling that disagreements between certain Democrats and Republicans over key provisions have been addressed. The Senate Banking Committee formally released a schedule on Friday showing members will hold a markup of the Safe Banking Act on Wednesday, September 27th, a critical step on the measure's path to the floor. This comes a day after media reports began citing sources who disclosed plans to hold a markup on the last week of September, though there was some ambiguity about the exact date until now. The time of the meeting on the 27th is listed as to be determined. It's unclear how the bill will be amended by the panel following weeks of negotiations. Senators have discussed revisions around provisions related to a key section on broad banking regulations, 
other lawmakers and stakeholders have floated changes concerning Small Business Administration access and stock uplisting for the cannabis industry. After the Senate reconvened this month, Banking Committee Chairman Sherry Brown said he was aiming to move the Safe Banking Act, among other priority bills, within the next six weeks. Last week, he said an agreement was imminent, and he said on Monday that he hoped to announce the scheduling of the legislation in the next few days. We want to make sure we have enough votes, and I mean there are still some differences some members still have. I'm not going to publicly talk about negotiating and what people are asking for or not. There are still some outlying issues, minor ones, but we hope to get people on board and get a strong vote. Several industry insiders predicted that the markup would be held next week, but a banking committee spokesperson told Marijuana Moment on Monday that wasn't the plan. Senator Steve Daines, the GOP sponsor of the legislation, had very productive discussions with Democratic members over the recess. His office told Marijuana Moment recently, adding that they were moving in the right direction. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, for his part, cited the cannabis banking bill as a legislative priority several times since returning from recess, including in a floor speech and Dear Colleague letter outlining the fall agenda. The prospects of passing the Safe Banking Act through the full Senate this fall are contingent on a number of factors, including the fact that moving moving must-pass spending legislation to fund the government is expected to take up a significant amount of the senator's time. But also key to passage is the resolution of senators' disagreement over Section 10 of the Cannabis Bill. Some Democrats believe that Section 10 of the legislation would undermine banking regulations and are seeking to amend or remove. Republicans have have viewed that option as a non-starter, however, and it remains unclear if any progress was made over the recess to reach an agreement. At this point, the Safe Banking Act has 42 co-sponsors, nearly half the Senate, and that includes eight Republicans and three independents. As a standalone in its current form, insiders say the measure has enough Republican buy-in to reach the 60-vote threshold needed for passage in the Senate. Brown and Dane sparred over next steps for the bill in the lead-up to the August recess. Brown has insisted that Danes needs to secure more GOP co-sponsors. Danes argued that the Republicans are already prepared to move the legislation as previously agreed through the floor. Schumer and others have discussed plans to amend the legislation on the floor to adopt Critical criminal justice provisions, such as expungements for prior marijuana convictions, calling broader effort to repair the harms for the drug war a moral responsibility for Congress. Uh, We shall see how this goes. Uh, I hope that they don't butcher this thing in the markup, because if they do, then this ain't going anywhere. Section 10 is a non-starter for Republicans. If they try and take that out, this thing is going to be dead in the water. Uh, but if they know what's good for them, they'll fucking pass it because they have the votes to do it. And I don't know what the fuck they're waiting for. This is Gretchen for Hyatt 9 News. Gretchen, so when did they say that they're actually going to have this vote? This is just the markup vote. Okay. All right. Well, so this is for those who don't know what a markup is. This is where they take the bill in committee and they all go around and bitch about what they want in or out. That will dis- that determines the final legislation that goes to the floor. It can still be amended on the floor, and that is where we expect them to put in the provisions from the HOPE Act, uh, which would provide funding to states for marijuana expungements. That is the criminal justice reform that Republicans are on board with um, and willing to put forward. Uh, we shall see if they add stuff for the SBA or uplisting to the stock. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Gretchen. Well, now, I wonder how realistic this is, because you know what I hear is supposed to happen today out there in, in your neck of the woods, Gretchen? Tell me, please. Good old my buddy Matt Gates is going to go and put, put, on, put a motion before the House to uh, remove Speaker McCarthy, which could cause a massive government shutdown. Good luck. Just yeah. telling you, it's happening today. It's happening. It's going and down. And I'm just telling you, Annie. Nobody wants the damn job. If you if your boy Gates wants to move <laughs> forward with this, you're going to get a Democratic speaker. Mark my words. Just telling you. Just telling uh, you. Mark my words. I know happening. what I'm talking about. It is happening. It is happening. Okay. Either way, has nothing to do with fucking safe banking in the Senate. What's your point? It does have to do with safe banking because the if, if it is still if happening. the government goes on shutdown, there will be no markup. The government's not shutting down. Okay. How much money you want to put on this? How much fake money you want to put on this? Because we know you're not going to do it. Here's the next hundred bucks Jason loses. They're very well. I I didn't say I was going to bet on this. I'm just telling you. I I, I think, no, I'm going to wait like maybe, you know, 24, 48 hours until I decide to bet. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Helpful. Yeah. Jen, you seem to me like a classical liberal and I wonder, uh, Mm -hmm. are you really, 
Yeah. Do you really feel like you're still a Republican? The Republican Party mirrors and and mirrors your principles. And and do you feel that there may be time for uh, it might be time for a new party that maybe uh, or classically follows liberal principles? I hear where you're coming from. I consider myself a moderate conservative. Not a uh, rhino. Because there is still no. I'm not a rhino. Jagoff. <laughs> um, I actually believe in Republican principles, unlike these dickheads who have tried to uh, take over my party, like Matt Gates, uh, like Jason Beck. Uh, this is not, they do not stand for Republican measures. They're just yeah, assholes. Yeah, we do. Stop the cap. Whatever. I think if That's you were not to. my party. Jen, I think that uh, if you look at classical liberalism and its defensive property rights, and you were to Google uh, a definition of liberalism right now and read it, I think that you would find that. Uh, the dictionary you would probably identify as a liberal. I am definitely. What, and what I people, what people on Fox I News lean liberal. I, I'm no, not no. Lie. What, what I people so lean that way, but fiscally, I do not. People, right? What, I think most people don't actually understand the definition of liberalism because it's been recast by Fox News and and AM radio, et cetera, for thirty plus years. If you look at the dictionary definition of liberalism, I'll pull one up. And I how about hijacked later. by the Democratic Party? What what? Uh, Matthew. Liberalism has been misidentified with the definition as in order to cast aspersions on people. The Democratic Party is center right. They're focused on corporate wealth and uh, neoliberalism and international war. Uh, the the Republican Party is far right, and they're focused on Christian Sharia and the end times and the return of Jesus. Well, that's not what I believe in, and I'm like you say, that's the far right. I'm not the far right. Like I said, I think that when I when I listen to you and Jason uh, have discourses, it just points to me that we really need at least one more, if not two more, political parties that have mainstream power that is in order to really more accurately reflect the truth of the American polity, right? Because there's people like me and you, Gretchen, that don't fit into the typical Republican or Democratic uh, offerings currently given. You know, there's not sure. really a space a space for that. I, I, I don't think America, you want to. I believe in the Constitution. I believe in a whole shit ton of stuff that Jason Beck doesn't fucking believe in. I believe in the I don't Constitution. Think you believe I don't in know Christian what the hell you're or eliminating all of rights from women. Yet the no, party not, that you support, I believe the in party the you support is that we are all covered. I don't need a special right because I'm a fucking woman. I got the same damn rights because I'm an American citizen. I don't right, need but your your rights are actually Fuck right. Your rights shit. are being stripped away from you because the moment you become pregnant, you're because no longer an individual woman. What you are is no, you're a, you're a vessel. You're a vessel. I'm a vessel. Suck a vessel for dick. the soldiers of Christ. I'm just telling you what your party's yeah. doing. I don't know well, about all that. Pregnant, I don't know about all that. Once you become pregnant, I'm not buying all that. Choice for all your that, rights. All that poop. Appears, not buying none of you that. You are now a vessel over there. If Child. we care about safe banking, please go to <laughs> panopticstrategies.com and you will look under the change tab and you will find a template to send to your lawmaker telling him to pass fucking safe banking. And if you don't know who your lawmaker is, I also have a little tab there where you can figure out who your lawmaker is. Mm. Just copy and paste, boom, 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 send an email. Your lawmakers need to hear from you, everybody, that you want safe banking passed. That they do. I do agree with that, Gretchen. I definitely agree with that. Well, Support safe banking. Yeah, we're so, pass safe banking already. Jesus. All, all right, you guys. All right, all right. I'm going to go on one vessel to another. Mm -hmm. <laughs> safe banking. All right. All right. All you vessels. I got something for you guys. Thank you. I'm not sure if you guys saw this one coming, but New York cannabis regulators are, have set the final rules. Oh man. Oh man. New York's cannabis regulators have finalized the rules for the budding industry, authorizing a slew of changes that will allow most, almost anyone to open an adult-use cannabis business. But the new regulations have people in the state's newest industry worried, concerned that the slow pace of approving their business may have put them at a disadvantage. There's excitement and interest, and during a meeting on Tuesday, the State Cannabis Control Board, which sets policy for the Office of Cannabis Management, finalized cannabis regulations policies, and now almost anyone who can legally open a business in New York can apply to open a cannabis business, and the types of businesses that can, that, that can open have expanded. It's expected to introduce many more applicants to the industry, which has seen only 23 state license dispensaries open despite thousands of applicants. In a quote, the office expects a lot of excitement and interest in these applications, and we are committed to providing as much information as possible regarding an applicant 
regarding an applicant will need to prepare in order to apply, said Chris Alexander, OCM's director, during Tuesday's meeting in Albany. The conditional licenses, the industry has been operating operating strictly under conditional early form licenses dedicated to those who had been charged with a cannabis crime under prohibition or nonprofits that worked with them. The conditional licenses will be phased out by June and all businesses operating conditionally and in good standing can apply to transition to a full license. The move comes right as OCM battles in court over its conditional licenses and a group of service disabled veterans who have not yet been permitted to pursue licenses argued that the program violated the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, not including them in the allowed groups for a conditional license. A state Supreme Court judge halted the program entry and ordered the OCM to pursue final regulations late last month, and they have created eight classes. Under the regulations approved on Tuesday, there will be eight different classes of cannabis businesses, plant nurseries, cultivators, processors, cooperatives, distributors, dispensaries, delivery services, and micro-businesses. Micro-businesses will be permitted the latitude to grow, process, and sell their own marijuana in small quantities of about 500 pounds per year, and micro-businesses and dispensaries are the only two facilities permitted to apply for on-site consumption permits. The regulations further defining on-site consumption have not yet been developed, and additionally, um, anti-monopoly rules have been put in place preventing anyone from holding a license from a retail shop alongside a license of a for a provider investors can have a non-controlling interest in multiple licenses and a controlling stake in in one license but they cannot invest in both retail and production priority status and speedy processing of applications from people impacted by prior prohibition minority and women-owned businesses distressed farmers and service disabled veterans was also codified and but there's a lot of advocate concerns because but the new regulations are controversial among the hundreds of people who already had conditional dispensary cultivator or processor license and those awaiting action on the licenses they've begun the process to get. The decision to open the program to everyone, which will start on October 4th, while hundreds of conditional applicants still await entry, has them concerned. The Farm Bureau, representing cultivators, and the State Cannabis Association, representing current businesses, have opposed the new regulations, and advocates are especially concerned about the decision to allow the nearly decade-old medical marijuana companies called registered operators, better known as the ROs, to apply for adult-use licenses. Companies like Verilife and MedMen and Aton with multi-state operations and millions of dollars in annual revenue, are likely to pursue adult-use licenses for their medical facilities across the state. Medical growing operations under uh, under other less well-known but still significant companies could seek adult-use growing licenses as well. And in a quote, they say, For New York to protect locally-based small businesses, the following steps must be taken. One, reform the potency tax. As um, as the disproportionary harms small as it disproportionately harms small businesses. Two regulations must be immediately fixed. And cannabis Associ- association officials said in a statement, they say this includes giving the ROs and small locally based cultivators and processors equal limits of canopy space. Three prioritize the enforcement of illegal operators instead of coming down on legal and small businesses with more endless red tape. And they say that they're going to push the farmers out. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Renee St. Jocks, the associate director of public policy for the Farm Bureau, said during the board's public public comment session Tuesday that the ROs are a major issue. Allowing the ROs to come in is not the answer. It is the issue, she said. It's just going to push the farmers out, just like you've seen in other states. In a quote, New York's cannabis farmers and processors have been united in their criticism of the Cannabis Control Board and the OCM the last few months, and thousands of pounds of marijuana products still sit in their facilities across the state, accounting for thousands of work hours and billions of potential revenues that cannot be sold because there is no store shelf to sell them on. 
Cannabis grown under state licenses can only be sold at state licensed dispensaries, not across state lines or even on tribal owned and regulated dispensaries on Native American lands across the state. And the cannabis industry, they say in New York, they say we're still struggling. The state of the industry is so bad. Advocates say that some marijuana growers are are ta- are, are talking of self harm. On Tuesday, Jeanette Miller, the co-founder of Cannabis Farmers Alliance, wore a handmade handmade noose of rope around her neck to the cannabis control board's meeting, meant to demonstrate how dire her situation is. She says, "I'm wearing this around my neck today because I feel like I'm going to hang myself." She said. We're tired, we're done, we're struggling. She continued, we need help. You don't answer, she says. Well, 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 there's a lot of situations going on in New York, and this is just the continuation of an ongoing problem. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Is New York going to fix themselves with these rules, or are they just going to keep on perpetuating the same ridiculousness that New York has been pushing this entire program so far? What do you guys think? I think that my two feet least favorite topics in the industry right now is New York cannabis and safe banking. Really? <laughs> These are my two Man. least favorite topics. I've been loving the New York um, scene. New York. Yeah. I mean, listen, I get it. I'm a Californian and we, we are laughing all the way just every minute of the day we're laughing at what's happening in New York. It's mm-hmm. a nightmare and we're, we're still thriving in New York. So it's not really a bad situation for us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, like there's always going to be opposition to every single proposal or every single, um, recommendation that people make. How many folks in the, the in the OCM, this um, have ever worked in the cannabis space or worked with cannabis plant? Do any of them have any kind of idea yes. of what the aches and A number of them really have are? worked. A number of them. And I find it laughable that California is laughing at New York because California is so fucking buttoned up and such a wonderful market to participate in. Well, I'm not saying that our market's great. I'm saying that we do, we do find humor here in New York. are surviving because of New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, because you, you had a market prior to opening. These guys did not, and they are basically getting up from fucking nothing. Um, we all knew this day was coming when card licenses were going to stop, and then they're going to open it up to uh, the rest of the market. So mm-hmm. I don't see how this is anything except progress and what was expected. So I don't know why you find this so amusing, Jason Beck. This was the next step, and it always was the next step. People, I don't understand why everyone thinks that there is going to be some amazing market immediately. That's not how this industry works. It takes time, especially when you come in from nothing. There's an amazing market in New York, but it's word of mouth. And especially when you're coming out of prohibition the way that we are, you never know what's going to come. The best... The best possible way to predict what's to come is to study the prohibition of alcohol and its its industry reemergence back into a compliant market. Um, that's really the only way to get a slightly close glimmer to what might what might be. Mm-hmm. Like the languaging of keeping uh, retail and and production separate, I thought that was a good idea in California as well, and would have probably led to a little bit equitable market equitable market for everybody. The moment you allow for vertical integration, then growing their own weed and selling it and kind of sloughing off all of the independent producers becomes a reality. It's just vertical integration. That is, that is true. I mean, why, why, why sell someone else's weed when I can sell my own weed? Just saying. You get, yeah. just absorb that percentage. Why have somebody else dis- distribute and take 30% when you can do that yourself? I agree with that. You're, you'll be slightly more likely to pick up the check at the end. Yeah, exactly. And, and at the same time, you'll know if your bills are paid or not. As opposed right? to, yeah, as opposed to, you know, when you got a lot of companies that didn't have their excise tax paid by different distributors, even though they collected it and whatnot, there's a whole big shit show going on. I do. So I do like the language and keep and the producers separate. Anything we can do to kind of keep the market smaller allows for more small players to to win. And what we see when small players win is we see higher quality cannabis and higher quality hash. Higher quality cannabis and hash lead to better outcomes for all of yeah, but at the same time, I mean the 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 reality is is that the the average consumer in the, in the in the, in a retail store doesn't want to pay those numbers that they're that they're going to pay for a quality high quality product. They want they want the cheapest rung of the mill, uh, duff of the buff, 
you know what I'm saying? Of the bag. They don't want the cheapest thing, Jason. Most of them are leveraged into having to accept the cheapest thing because of that whole capitalist thing. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't we believe in about. that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that argument. I'm not buying that argument. It's very easy not to buy that argument from a condo in a high rise in LA where all your bills are paid. I'm amazing, right? You're so silly. I didn't realize I had a condo I or a high rise. I, I agree with St. Germain. I, I don't think people have been exposed to what is good quality cannabis. They have. That's and when correct. that happens, then they are going to want it. I do believe, Jason, that there is also the Budweiser crowd as well. I, that, He's just like, yes. just give me whatever you got. I don't care. But and, I think there are going to be enough folks out there who appreciate what they're putting into their bodies and are going to ask for it and look for it as well. And, and I think me, there is plenty of room for both of those markets. Well, there is definitely plenty of room. The problem is, is that is that 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 low budget that that Paps Blue Ribbon consumer that you mentioned is the type of people that'll be shopping in dispensaries and the people that like that craft type of stuff that are going to spend those extra dollars are just going to get it from who's ever producing it off the streets. No, no. Yeah, that's what's no. happening. No. That's, that's, that is what's happening, that Gretchen. Stuff is just gonna that's be reality. Off the streets. I disagree. I think they're trying to do some interesting things out in Humboldt uh, to bring their product legally to all markets, which you will Stop be hearing it. that Stop in it. Due, due time. But I do think that there will be a pathway for farmers markets and other things. And I'm not talking about state farmers markets. I'm talking about getting out to be able to come and get the cannabis that you want. You'll see, Jason Beck. I'd love All to make right. another bet, but you don't fucking pay them, so uh, why should I bother? I mean, it's not, it's not, you're, you're just yeah, blowing hot not, air right now, not, Gretchen. Let's not even bother. It's okay. Okay. Just blowing hot air. Mark my words, uh-huh. Auntie Gigi is always right. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I have to disagree with you when it comes to the Emerald Triangle, and this is unfortunately because I have a wealth of family that I really love deeply there, but the only reason the Emerald Triangle was the place to be was the lack of staffing dollars for the sheriffs, the ability to hide what you were doing in the woods. Now that we're in a legal space, every single one of those producers is going to lose because there is mm-hmm. an abundance and a wealth of outdoor uh, and greenhouse opportunities that are located five minutes from the five and the 99. One of the biggest ways you're going to lose is this. You buy a load of gravel, right? So you got a 10 acre grow. You got to buy a hundred loads of gravel. Five minutes off the 101, you're going to pay 20 bucks a dumpster, a dump truck load for gravel. Live hours off the 101, you're going to pay 20 mm-hmm. bucks a dumpster load for gravel. Difference is you're going to pay that driver hourly four to eight hundred bucks an hour from the moment he gets his truck to go load up the gravel to go to your house and drop off the gravel to when he comes home. But the guy who lives five minutes off the five is going to end up paying four to eight hundred bucks. Guy that lives a few hours off the five is going to end up paying eight hundred to sixteen hundred dollars or more. And when you multiply that against every single input, what you're going to see is that there's no way that small cultivators who are living on on roads up in the middle of nowhere can really compete long term in the legal game. Mm-hmm. That's not something I'm advocating for. That's not something I'm happy about. I'm not happy about it. It's just uncomfortable truth that should be talked about as soon as possible for the I benefit of those folks that are in that position. I hear you, St. Germain, and I know the additional costs that involve coming out of the Emerald Triangle. I'm well aware of the farmer's plight up there. Um, However, I think you're underestimating their heart and their will to survive. I don't think these people are all just going to roll over and die or all go work for big boys or, you know, move to a better location. I think people love where they're at. I think they love the Appalachian. They love the community. I think they are going to work as hard as they fucking can to keep that space going. I agree 100% with that statement, and any of them that are smart would be smart to just shrink their operation a little bit, focus on quality, get back into the trap lane, find a dedicated consumer base. Used to be that if you were growing illegally, you had to worry about stormtroopers with machine guns descending from helicopters to just totally fucking destroy your life and put you in prison. Ask Brother Luke who's watching. Now the, the biggest thing that you're risking is a guy with a clipboard coming to try to find you money if I lived in Humboldt and wanted to continue living in Humboldt, I would shrink my operation to where I could find it viable moving forward. It's really easy to do. I'd find a small co-op group of people who wanted to buy my cannabis, and I would keep my head down, and I would create super high-quality cannabis that I would distribute through a local network, very similar to the CCOF, I think, or CDFA farm boxes, what I would start doing. I'd just start signing people up for ounce a month delivery. Think that it, I think that we, we as cannabis cultivators and long-term who have been moving you know against the current paradigm of society should really flex our imagination and not just ask for permission for what we should do but we should move uh, morally correct into the future doing the right thing and force the government to catch up with us as we always have
And uh, on Again, that- I ate a lot of acid, bro. I just got back from Burning Man, dude. Oh, Who knows? Oh, boy. And on that, we're going to go to a commercial. <laughs> we're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The control tower from Highly Educated. Oh, stop whatever you're doing. Make sure you hit that like button. That's the one thing that uh, YouTube really appreciates, and we will really appreciate it as well. Also, make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't subscribed already. And you can find all the re- all the articles and everything and so much more on our website at www.hyatnightnews.com. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Oh, yes. Coming up next. That's right. She's a mom. She is an edibles, uh, emerald cup edibles judge. I don't know why I always mess that up. Sorry. And... She is also a cannabis executive who wants to show you that being a cannabis executive, a mom, and an Emerald Cup Edibles judge, you can live that executive life and still get everything done. That's right. It's none other than the Miss Mandy Tingler. Good morning, everybody. Man, Jason, you really make it sound luxurious. <laughs> I'm, I'm really good at that. Thank you so much. So glamorous over here. <laughs> Today, I'm going to be sharing a follow-up story from one I covered a few months ago. I bet you can't guess where it's coming out of. Yep, NYC. So it's uh, it's a story that's something we all need to be aware of because it does impact us all at some point, whether you're an employer or an employee. New York really seems to be asking some of the most important questions. Today, my article comes to you from the Times Union News, and the headline reads, Marijuana Regulation of Employees Needs Clarity, report says. The article is quite long, so I'm going to be summarizing for you today. It says, New York passed a law banning employees from testing workers for cannabis use without visual signs of impairment. The result is a lot of uncertainty. A recent report from Cornell University highlights the need for clearer regulations concerning the testing of employees for cannabis use in New York. State, which was a pioneer in banning testing of workers without signs of impairment as a part of recreational marijuana legalization, is currently facing significant uncertainties in its labor law. Primary challenge is the absence of reliable tests to determine immediate impairment from from cannabis as existing tests can detect usage for up to 30 days prior. The lack of precise impairment tests raise concerns for both employers and employees. The report recommends changes to the law, including granting employees the right to challenge their termination due to lawful cannabis use and requiring both a positive drug test and evidence-based assessment of impairment for finding employee misconduct. Critics argue that subjective interpretations of impairment could disproportionately affect workers of color, while New York is working to find a balance between workplace safety and individual rights, the absence of an effective impairment test remains a significant challenge for employers and law enforcement. Assembly Majority Leader Crystal Crystal Peoples-Stokes believes that advancement in technology with cannabis industry may lead to a reliable impairment test in the future, could alleviate these issues. But in the meantime, employers are advised to test employees for cannabis use only when clear signs of impairment are present, present to document their observations of impairment and their decisions carefully. Now, you guys obviously can be very confusing for employees and employers. What do you think that employees and employers should do to manage cannabis use on the job? This is Carmen Sacramento coming at you live from Hyatt 9 News. Happy Monday, y'all. I mean, Matthew St. Germain, you should just let them just use, just let them smoke weed. I think you should let people smoke weed or not. And if they can't do their job, you just fucking fire them. Exactly. 
Exactly. If they're not, huh? yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Just let them, let them do their job. If it becomes a problem, get rid of them, fire them, poof, be gone. Dude, if you come to work and you smell like vodka, you're fired. If you come to work and you smell like weed, you're fucking fired. You know what I mean? If you come to work and you're high as balls and you outwork everybody, then, bro, go smoke some weed at lunch. Like, go do your thing. Just don't come back reeking like weed. Don't be a bad example. Well, the, the, well no, like there's a problem with smelling like, like weed. Is grounds it, for yeah. termination. I'm, I'm, it's hyperbole. I'm just saying, like, you know, be professional at work. Go to work and do your fucking job and you don't know. stick out, and then you'll be fine. The problem this is, is why though, Matthew. The business world has key performance indicators or KPIs. This is the perfect metric upon which to determine whether you have a successful employee or employer, because employers should have KPIs too. Right? Um, you got to keep your employees happy and treat them right and, and all of those things. So, KPIs, are they meeting them or not? Cannabis use is irrelevant. And I would say, you know, first responders in certain jobs like high level, you know, high level uh, crane operators and shit should definitely not be on drugs and should have drug testing. There's certain jobs that need people to be over and focused to do for the benefit of, of society. Mm-hmm. If you're working a service job or a construction job or, <coughs> or if you're server, a, pep, you know, if you're a like paper that. pusher, you should be able to smoke weed. Congressperson, you might as well get high because you're not doing anything effective. Uh, maybe they'd all do better because they'd let go of all. I'll do way better. They'd start grow. They'd start to grow a conscience, bro. See, you'd see Mitch McConnell instead of freezing, be like, oh, oh god damn, I've been a shitty, horrible person my whole life. You guys, I'm sorry. Oh man. If it was like better? a rule that they had to go take a bong hit before they made big decisions. <laughs> I thought that was Bill Clinton. I think you should have to take a 10 strip if you've been elected right before you take your oath. A 10 strip? That's, seems uh, 10 hits of LSD, approximately 1,200 plus that, micrograms of LSD. That, se- that seems a little excessive right there, Matthew. It's a lot excessive. That's, that's what they need. Oh, man. Yeah. You can't survive a 10 strip. You shouldn't be in charge of me. Sorry. This whole oh, world has been based on really extreme things. LSD is <laughs> not that bad compared to some of the other not, shit. Not, dude. <laughs> I had this uh, one chick that I worked with, that, and we were not allowed to consume in my first cannabis job. That was considered a no-no. Uh, and she was one of our sales folks. And I was with her. We were on a trip. And we were still going to, you know, work that day or whatever. And she is just lighting up, waking, baking. And I'm like, what the fuck? And she's like, well, I'm not smoking at work. And I'm like, I can't believe you you smoke before you got to speak to all our customers. And she's like, if you didn't smoke before dealing with our fucking customers, you would not want me as your customer sales rep. So I was like, all right, works for me. What, uh, she what, what company was this, to deal Gretchen? with half of our people. None of your damn business. You know who I worked for to begin with. Uh, oh, I do know who you worked for to yeah, begin with. Do the math. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> but no, we did, we did not consider... Uh, Hey, it didn't bother me that we didn't consume. I didn't care. Um, but I definitely knew that there were times when certain folks let things slip that they weren't supposed to because uh, they were consuming. There were certain things that they shouldn't be disclosing that they did, uh, which was not a good thing. So I don't have a problem telling people not to consume on company hours. Uh, should they get fired because they get drug tested? No, I don't believe in that shit. But I think you can set the rules and say, if you don't want people consuming during company hours, I think you can get away with that. I don't see- it's your prerogative. It's your company. They don't like it. Don't work for you. Exactly. There is a lot of room for confusion, though, because, I mean, even here in California, I've done a lot of consulting for a number of different companies. And uh, sometimes that includes meeting with HR operators who are not used to operating in this industry. Um, it's a culture shock for a human resources officer to come from traditional corporate and then suddenly become an HR officer of a cannabis company because the rules and the paradigm completely shifts. The value system is completely different. And so um, I, once, I once had a meeting with an HR director of a, a, a company here in California who had never worked with a cannabis company before. And um, one of the employees who was um, cutting clones somehow managed to cut their hand um, while they were on the job. Um, and that employee had been seen smoking a vape pen earlier that morning. Um, and so the company issued an entire no cannabis consumption policy statement um, within the entire business. And that's a real, a real challenge for a number of reasons, um, partially because when you're a sales rep or a marketing person, a lot of what you do is very social 
it's um, it's a lot of product sampling, a lot of trialing of different things. And if you can't use it on the job, then you know there's the question of when can you use it? When are you supposed to be having social relationship time with with your customers? And then also, what about those staff who need to medicate during the day for pain, for anxiety, for cancer treatments, or whatever? Um, it there's companies need to be really crystal clear. I've also seen a lot of companies do this thing where they say no cannabis use on the job, you know, during office hours at all, but then everyone's going out back and toking. That's very confusing. So uh, as an operator, set your policy in your company, be crystal clear about it, post it, and then stand by it, whatever it is. I'm not mad at that. Hold your ground, right, Mandy? Yeah. Yeah. Clear. Well, we're going to keep keep him rolling. We're going to roll right in to the immortal count himself. That's right. It's Matthew St. Germain. He's an immortal wizard, always helping the brotherhood of eternal love try to find their way. And thank God he got his dick unstuck from the dirt from all of that rain at Burning Man. That's right. It is none other than the Mr. Count himself, Matthew St. Germain. Hey. Okay. Hi, everybody. Happy Monday. I've got great news that comes uh, out of MAPS and uh, out of the FDA of all places. The psychedelic drug MDMA has passed its uh, phase three trials and will probably soon be uh, uh, available for um, prescription use by therapists. The psychedelic drug MDMA can reduce symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, researchers reported in a new study published Thursday. The company sponsoring the research said it plans later this year to seek U.S. approval to market the drug, also known as ecstasy, as a PTSD treatment when combined with talk therapy. This is the first innovation in PTSD treatment in more than two decades, and it's significant. I think it will also open up other innovations, said Amy Emerson, CEO of MAPS, Public Benefit Corporation, the research sponsor. Earlier this year, Australia became the first country to allow psychiatrists to prescribe MDMA and psilocybin, the psychoactive ingredient in magic mushrooms. Drugs are gaining wider cultural acceptance in the U.S. in part because of efforts by the nonprofit advocacy group MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. The new study, researchers measured symptoms in 104 people with PTSD who were randomly assigned to get either MDMA or a dummy pill. And, uh, three sessions that also included talk therapy with a psychotherapist. After treatment, 86% of the MDMA group improved on standard PTSD assessment compared to 69% of the placebo group. Assessment measures symptoms such as nightmares, flashbacks, and insomnia. The study's end, 72% of the people in the MDMA group no longer met the diagnostic criteria for PTSD to about 48% of the placebo group. Results that they got are very exciting, said Barbara Rothbaum, who directs the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program in Atlanta. She was not involved in the research, which was published in the journal Nature Medicine. Uh, or MDMA can be prescribed in the U.S., the FDA would need to approve it, and the DEA would need to change its classification for MDMA. MDMA is currently classified as Schedule 1, on par with heroin, to have no currently accepted medical use, a high potential for abuse, and a high potential for addiction, none of which are true. Um, there uh, are actually underground coalitions of psychotherapists who have been using MDMA since it was legal in, and before in the 80s with talk therapy. It is an amazing tool. For therapy and for the alleviation of PTSD and other emotional psychological disorders, don't forget, it's also fun to take in fun ritual dance therapy sessions with your friends and family. So as much as they want to shunt all these drugs into a purely pharmacological a prescription-based model, we need to make sure to keep taking psychedelics with our friends and ourselves, either at house parties or out in the woods howling at the moon. This is Matthew St. Germain from Monday. Uh, what do you guys think? Lots of psychedelics going on, Matthew St. Germain. I mean, every time they apply science to them, what they find is that they're non-toxic, uh, they heal the human brain, and they help people to live better. I, th and, uh, I found it interesting. They, 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 you, said, you said they were doing the study with Molly, and they just had someone there just to talk to you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. It's fun uh, to talk. I mean, what are they talking about in these studies, Matthew? <clears throat> What are the topics of conversation it, when you're just like sitting so there what, rolling balls talking to some doctor? Uh, this in this therapeutic way, it's it's different in that they do is they, you're not they rolling talk balls. for uh, you are, but what what they do is they talk for a month or so to gain rapport, find out what's going on, 
and in the therapy session, it's kind of they use the therapy session as a culmination. I'm sorry, the, the MDMA session as a culmination of the therapy. You're kind of ready and at that, at that discovery point and that depatterning point, the MDMA helps you to really examine the emotional contents of your heart and your mind and to really see them in a way uh, that's less uh, intensely personal where you don't feel judgment towards yourself. And so you can talk about what you've done and find forgiveness for yourself as, as well as for others. One of the biggest things that um, psychedelics do in increasing the dendritic formation and the patterning and connection in your brain is they actually allow you to depattern. What what PTSD and trauma often does, it's very much like other learned skills. It, it will dig grooves of neurochemical pathways in your brain. And so this higher amount of chemical mapping, uh, 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 neuronal mapping together through dendritic formation basically allows greater patterns to establish and and eliminate eliminates or shallows out those those pts so that you can really almost become a new person so hold on so, so i think it's so, important as much as i'm not like a as much as i'm not like a super sacred hippie i really do think it's important to and you don't have to say it out loud you don't have to close your eyes and make any kind of face that anybody sees but it's important to get an intention in your own mind with kind of where you want the trip to go what you want to learn to the molecule plant or substance that you're uh, about to make a part of your body and really try to find a direction for what you're doing. And uh, the last thing I want to add is one of the reasons I think I personally have gained a lot of, uh, of, of value from psychedelics, even though I'm still a very imperfect fucked up little dude that I don't drink alcohol when I do psychedelics. And I think that drinking alcohol turns psychedelics more into drinking fuel and really obscures the intellect and the ability to learn, change, deep pattern and grow psychedelic usage so when you're, when you're doing your drugs man try to focus and just do some acid mushrooms and mdma and, and save the drink for another day save yeah, save your liver <clears throat> too that's the, that's the moral of the story huh matthew save save i i just feel like matthew when you're telling that story all right of 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 like how they like talk to you for a while and then you know you know what that you, do you remember that movie i think the movie was called run where like the lady would like hypnotize people and then, like, would they like turn them into slaves or some craziness after that? Okay. Okay. Well, seen it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you should check it out. It was a crazy, crazy, crazy movie. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's that's what that reminds me of is like all of a sudden you have this doctor and you have they have to like figure out a time when like they think that their relationship with you is right to where you're going to open up and be all this forthcoming while you're while you're rolling balls on mdma it just sounds like a setup to me i'm not i'm not sure i'm i'm thinking that that's like real therapy or not that that's why there's that's why there's uh, to be a therapist there's an extensive uh training yeah. education list of rules and requirements there's things that if you do or do not do you cannot be a therapist therapists are human beings and make mistakes 100 mm -hmm. to uh, get to a point in your life where you have to trust someone mm -hmm. And I, I could just speak from a clinician standpoint, having been the person in the chair working with hundreds of people, not having that form of treatment as an option for any of the individuals that I worked with. I would say that a significant number of them, if I had been able to have that, have a, have a psychedelic opportunity to, to help them, there's so much that individuals can overcome in just one or two psychedelic experience, you know, the clinical setting opportunities, I believe, anyway, it's such a huge heart opener. And also it allows you to almost um, see certain issues like trauma related issues, for example, as a separate entity of you, you can you can externalize it and you can analyze it without re experiencing the trauma often. And it can be very healing. And once you have that experience psychologically when you come out of the euphoria from this experience you can clearly remember how you externalized that issue and it no longer is something that has such a tight control on you and on that note i'm going to be quiet because we're way over time <laughs> we, we are way over time do you guys have a second i have one more story for you guys real quick do you guys have a second if not okay all right all right, I'm, I got one more story for you. You guys are going to find this kind of interesting. We never really talk about this state, but Alaska. All right. Alaska marijuana businesses are citing, black, citing the black market, and they are pleading for tax relief. In an unusual off-season hearing, a committee 
of the Alaska legislature considered a proposal on Friday that could lower the state tax on marijuana sold in the state. House Bill 119, considered Friday by the House Labor and Commerce Committee, would shift the state's marijuana tax system from a tax per ounce to a sales tax. The state's marijuana industry says the change is desperately needed to help marijuana businesses compete with the state's black market. In a quote, they say, this is a very desperate solution that we're in, said Lucy Wilcox, legislative liaison for the Alaska Marijuana Industry Association trade group. Since the state legalized adult-use cannabis back in 2014, it's been taxed at $50 per ounce, a figure established by the ballot measure that made Alaska the third state to legalize cannabis use for adult use purposes. Other states have legalized da 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 da, da. But basically, in, the, in a quote, they're saying, we are all in a survival mode, and we are coming together to share our pain with you, Wilcox told the committee. And last year, Governor Mike uh, Dunleavy convened a adult use marijuana task force to analyze the new industry's progress And that group uh, delivered a report earlier that year that contained a variety of recommendations. One was a new tax system. And I'm just going to say and close it out on this, that that is way, way too high of $50 an ounce per tax. That needs to be just a basic sales tax and just call it a day out there in baked Alaska. What do y'all have to say? For real, the overtaxation is killing the industry. It is. Or at least pushing the industry back to uh, back to its roots, huh? How many more times are we going to have to hear these sorts of stories coming from everywhere? Coming from everywhere, That's exactly. Insane. It's not just California. It's not just New York. It's it's all over the country, even the states that aren't connected to the to the connected states. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but thank you all. Thank you for joining us and getting high at 9 with us every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big thank yous to our audience and supporters for tuning in daily and listening to the insanity that is the developing cannabis industry. Huge thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to you for tuning in and watching. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you, Matthew St. Germain, for coming on, lending your knowledge and everything else, expertise, all that good stuff. Uh, Thank you to all of our audience members watching us on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and Rumble. Oh, yeah. Thank you all. And thank you all for tuning in and getting high at nine with us. It's America's number one daily cannabis news show.